right, we are doing a sermon series called Disciple Be One, Make One. And uh, we have been in this now for, this is week nine, which means this is a brand new CCC Ferndale record for longest sermon series ever in our short history. But uh, we're actually going to be doing one more week next week. We're going to be tying it all together. And I really encourage you to come next week just to, to uh, be there. We're just going to make it all about what it's all about at the end of the day, and that's, that, that's Jesus. And so uh, we're going to be just tying it up next week. But um, over the last 30 to 40 years, writers and researchers have been attaching different labels to different generations of people. So if you were born between the, the years 1922 and 1945, you are known as a traditionalist. Now, there's different, different words that different, different writers or researchers use that have been tossed around. And, and even the, the years, are there's some, some leeway on both sides. But generally speaking, if you were born between 1922 and 1945, you're known as a traditionalist. If you were born between the years 1946 and 1964, you're a what? A baby boomer. If you were like me, born between the, uh, the years 1964 and 1980, you're a Gen Xer. If you were born between 1980 and 2000, congratulations, you are a millennial. Now, I don't think they've actually attached or figured out a generation or, or, or a name for the generation that's after 2000. Um, maybe there's something out there. But um, the people who study these sorts of things have discovered that each generation has certain characteristics. So if you're a traditionalist, and I won't ask you this morning if you're born in that era, but if you're a traditionalist, you're, you, you were alive during the era of uh, um, World War II, the, the World Wars, and so you're shaped, like all these different generations, shaped by the world around you, shaped by the culture around you, shaped by the different events that were happening around the world during that time. If you're a traditionalist, you value respect for authority, loyalty, hard work, dedication. You know, that was like the, the years of the Great Depression. Um, boomers, they tend to value health, um, personal gratif gratification, wealth, those sorts of things. The baby boomers, by the way, they believe that they are the generation more than any other that just changed the world. That they just, they came in, they just revolution, all that kind of stuff. You might think that your generation changed the world, but the baby boomers, you just can't change their way of thinking. No, they are the ones responsible for this beautiful, awesome, glorious world that we live in. Um, <laughs> millennials, they are the first generation to be raised with the internet. Um, th they value things like teamwork, but teamwork that makes a difference. It's got to have a point to it. And um, um, they, they value things like um, even institutions, institutions. So my, my generation, Gen Xers, we're very skeptical of institutions, whether that's the church, whether that's something outside, skeptical of institutions. Millennials, on the other hand, are kind of, they're okay with institutions as long as that institution is making a, a, a difference in the world outside of it. Well, this past week, I was reading an article on millennials, and the article was written by um, a researcher. A lot of you have heard of him before. His name is George Barna. He just was uh, doing some research um, into millennials, and uh, he came up with some, some um, interesting information. Now, millennials, before I get into the information, millennials are the largest generation in U.S. history, largest generation ever. There are 80 million millennials. The second largest generation is the, the baby boomer generation, but millennials are the largest. In, in Barna's research, he uncovered some interesting info as it relates to um, millennials in the church. 
His research revealed uh, a lot of things, but just two things that I want to mention this morning. Uh, it revealed that only 2 in 10 Americans under 30 believe attending a church is important or worthwhile. Only 2 in 10. Now, that, that's an all-time low, 2 in 10. Another thing that his research uncovered is that 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out. 59% have, that have been raised in a church have dropped out. Now, just for fun this morning, how many millennials do we have in the room? Be, born between the ages of 18, 1980 and 2000. How many? Raise your hand, nice and high. Okay, we had one in the first service and roughly, I don't know, 15 or so in the second service. But, but one of the things that this research is, has made very clear and, uh, and even beyond this research, it's, it's, there's lots of data out there to back it up, is that the church, for the most part, in a lot of different ways, is losing ground in our nation. And uh, I say in our nation because I know this isn't happening around the world. I actually just last meet, met, met with a guy, um, had the awesome opportunity to meet a uh, pastor from Nepal. Nepal, it, Nepal is, uh, you know, like Mount Everest in between China and, and India. And this pastor, 37-year-old guy, has um, planted right around 100 churches, and the church in Nepal is just absolutely exploding, reaching uh, people of all different generations. God is up to some awesome stuff over there, but for some reason in our nation, the church is losing ground rather than gaining ground. And this, this should make us stop and go, okay, what is going on? What's, what is happening? Because Jesus said something that, that rings true just as much today as it did 2,000 years ago. He said, I'm going to build my church, and nothing's going to stop it, not even the gates of hell. I'm going to build my church. My church, it's just, it's going to happen. Now, either Jesus has just decided that he's not going to keep that promise anymore, or the church is building something different than what Jesus had in mind when he said the church, and he was going to build it. And since we know that Jesus doesn't break his promises, that should tell us that what most of the church in our nation, and in particular actually in Western culture, is building is actually different than what, than what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the church. In this same article that I was reading, I decided to kind of drop down to the, uh, the comment section and whenever there's a kind of a controversial Facebook post or article or blog or something like that, I, I love to drop down and read the comment section. And uh, any, some of you here are probably the same as me. You like to read the, the comment section. Others of you are much wiser than me. <laughs> you, you avoid how that can be toxic. I mean, comment sections, you could be the most positive person on the planet, but some comment sections can leave you very angry and depressed. But uh, anyways, I go down to the comment section, and, I, and one guy had said something that caught my attention um, because it was so spot on and because it also mentioned donuts. But, but um, he mentioned something that just, I think, got to the heart of the problem. This, this millennial guy said this. He said, churches tend to focus on, on nickels and noses, programs, positions to be filled, building maintenance, entertainment, etc." Today's emphasis is on trying to bring people into an organization and satisfying their desires so they remain and work and, and give. Jesus and his disciples didn't build and administer a church as we know it today. And then this guy went on to talk about the kind of church that Jesus came to build and establish, a church that was united and focused on the same goal, and, and a church that was a, a loving, caring community that, that had a greater purpose beyond itself. And then he said this, just at the very end, 
he said, church is kind of like a jelly donut. I'm like, boing. Church is like a jelly donut without the jelly. Everybody talks about the jelly, but but few experience it. Now, I can't imagine going to chomp down on a jelly donut and it doesn't have the jelly in in the middle. That would be devastating. You know what I'm saying? This guy is saying that, that church is like a jelly donut without the jelly. Everybody's talking about how um, the church is, is, it should be a loving, caring community. It, it, it should be united around this greater purpose beyond itself. The church should be a, a force to be reckoned with in the greater culture where we're pushing back poverty and injustice. The church should be about all these different things. And at, at, at the center of this movement called the church should be the presence of the resurrected King Jesus. Everyone talks about the jelly, but very few churches actually experience it. And this series is about getting the jelly back. I had to think about that one all week. (laughs) But it is about getting back to the heart of what the church is supposed to be about. It is about getting back to the heart of what, what Jesus said the church is supposed to be doing. And just so that we would never forget in Jesus's final words before he he pulls a Superman and leaves this planet. He looks at his group of followers and he says, go and make disciples of all nations. He made it crystal clear. In other words, in other words, you should be about teaching people to follow me, teaching people what it looks like to be changed and coming alongside of them as they're transformed by me and then helping them to get on mission with me. Go and make disciples of all nations. The church has been given a job to do, and if you're here this morning and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you, can, you, you consider yourself a Christian, guess what? You are a part of the church, like it or not. You're a part of the church. And God's plan for you is not only that you would be a disciple, but that you would go and make disciples. That you would go and make disciples. That is God's plan for you, that you would go and do that. It's not his plan that just pastors would go and make disciples. His plan is that followers of him would, would grow in their faith and become people who would be helping other people grow in their faith and become mature and complete in Christ. That's his plan. And, and it needs to be made clear this morning that, that the goal of making disciples is not to make converts to Christianity. A lot of times people hear the word discipleship or disciple. It's not a word that you hear a lot in the church or even in the world, but but we hear that and we think discipleship classes or we think that means that we're to go out and just make a bunch of converts to Christianity. That is not what it's about. Jesus did not say, go and make converts to Christianity. Now, when you give your life to Jesus, obviously that's a pretty big point in your discipleship journey, but it, it is about so much more than, than simply giving your life to Jesus. It's about walking into the fullness of what Christ is all about, what he's called us um, to do in, in the lives that he's called us to live. He has called each of us who consider ourselves followers of him to be about helping others grow up and mature in Christ Jesus. And let me just ask you this. So maybe you're hearing going, eh, I don't know, Rich, if that's ever going to be for me. Let me just ask you this. Who do you have in your life that you want to see grow to love Jesus with everything they, they've got? Who do you have in your life that you go, okay, I just, I would love to see this person just experience the life that Jesus came to bring. I want them to know life to the full like, like I've known it. Maybe some of you in the room are parents and you're going, man, I want my kids to love Jesus. I don't want them just to, 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 to stay stuck where they're at. 
maybe there's some students in the room, and you're going, yeah, I've got some friends that I know at, at my high school and my middle school. I've got some, some people that I hang out with, and yeah, I don't want them just to be stuck wallowing in the, the empty stuff that's out there in the world. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to love Jesus. Maybe some of you have grandkids. Maybe some of you in the room are, are small group leaders. And you're going, I want my small group to just know the fullness of Jesus. And, and I want them to, to love him with everything that, that they've got. But then the question goes, well, how do, how do I become a disciple maker? How do I help my kids learn to love Jesus? How, how do I help my friends grow in their faith? How do I help my, grand, my grandkids? How do I help my small group, those that I serve over in Kids Rock? How do I help them grow in their faith? And, you know, the good news for us, if we're going, I don't even know how to do that. The good news for us is that God spells it out really clear in his word. And there's two guys in particular in the Bible who show us exactly what it looks like and what it takes to make disciples. One of them that we've been looking at a lot is Jesus. Jesus was the most incredible disciple maker in, in all of history. I mean, I mean, just you and I being here in this room today is evidence of that. If Jesus was not a great disciple maker, then what would have happened if he would have just taught that first generation of his disciples what it meant to, to know him and follow him, and then the message of the gospel would have died off with that generation, and we would not be sitting here in this room today. Jesus knew how to make disciples who would then make disciples and make more disciples. But another guy in the Bible that I want to look at and hang out with this morning is a guy named Paul. And Paul, also known as the Apostle Paul, he was great at making disciples. Paul was a guy who you actually wouldn't expect to be a great dis- disciple maker based off of how his life began. He actually started off as a guy that hated everything that had to do with Jesus. He was, he was anti-church. He was, he was actually going around to different um, towns and cities and rounding up all the Christians and persecuting them, even killing them in some cases. Paul hated Jesus. Paul hated the church. Now, if we had a Paul in our midst today, most of us would probably write him off and go, okay, that guy just needs to be out of the picture, but not Jesus. Jesus comes along, and he sees Paul, and he's got a call in Paul's life. He's got a purpose for Paul's life. So Paul's on this road trip to a city named Damascus. Jesus shows up, bright light, knocks Paul off of his horse, speaks to him, and says, from now on, Paul, you're going you're gonna to stop persecuting the church. Actually, you're going to become one of my greatest ambassadors. You're going to go, and you're going to, like, spread the gospel everywhere. And so Paul has this radical transformation. Then he begins to go around uh, the area and plant church after church after church, spread the gospel, tell people about this Jesus who has saved them by his awesome grace and, and do incredible things through the Holy Spirit. And one of the cities that Paul went to where he started a church was a city named Thessalonica. And sometime after this church had begun to take root and grow, Paul sits down and he writes a letter to this church. And in this letter, there's just this incredible picture for us what it actually looks like to live out a life of discipleship in real time. What it looks like to actually make disciples who will make disciples. And this isn't really a how-to. It's not like he comes and says, here's how you do da 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 He just talks about how he and this church relate together. It's so good. So let's, let's dive in. Um, it says this. We're going to read from, um, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. 
We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. There's three things he's going to mention here. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So a few things about making disciples that we see in Paul's writing here. First, we see that faith in God is the foundation of our work in making disciples. Faith in God, it's, it's, it's the foundation. It takes faith to be a disciple maker, whether that's your kids, your small group, your, your community that you have. It takes faith to make that happen because it's a partnership with the invisible God and you're doing some hard work. It's you and God working together, um, having an impact in the lives of others. And it takes faith. It takes faith to do that. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I tend to be a person that avoids hard work and pain at all costs. Okay, I just don't like go looking for it. I haven't been to the gym in a few years for a reason. No pain, no pain, right? Like that's kind of my, my philosophy. But you just, you just kind of, I, I tend to avoid that. Um, and when it comes to discipling people, it's no, it takes, it's work. There is work that's involved with doing that. And I think a lot of times we push away from that because we just want to, we want to avoid that. It takes work. But here's the deal. When you have faith, here's where faith comes in. When you have faith to believe that that God is making a difference in that person's life. He's shaping their heart, even though you might not see it. It kind of it keeps you going. When you believe that time spent in God's word with your kids or, or with the students that you're serving in fusion, when you have faith to believe that, that that's making a, a difference, you, you, you stay at it. You believe that the hours of prayer that you, you pray for people are making a difference. Faith is so important in the disciple-making journey. It's the foundation. And, and Paul goes on to say that, that um, another thing that's key is love for Jesus and people. It's the only thing strong enough to motivate you to, to the level of sacrifice that you will be called for when it comes to making disciples. Love for Jesus and love for people. He talks about how this is a, a labor prompted by what? It's prompted by love. It's not prompted by a guilty conscience. This is something I should be doing. No, it's prompted by by love. Now, in our culture, we tend to think of love as just this feeling. It's something that kind of comes, it kind of goes. But the Bible has a much different, deeper understanding of what love is. Love is when you come along and you 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 sacrifice for others. And in this passage, Paul says that that sometimes discipling it's going to be like a labor of love. It's labor is a different kind of level of work, isn't it? It's, it's hard work, and, and what will keep you in the game is, is love. What's going to keep you in the game is not a hard work ethic, not some kind of persistent spirit. It's love that keeps you in there doing the hard work of, of discipling people, love for Jesus and love for people. And we also see in the scripture that hope in Christ is what will, what, what will keep you going to the very end, hope in Christ. And one thing... So I've discovered something over the last, um, last couple years. This whole series that we've been going through on discipleship is something that God has been saying to me, not only as a pastor, Rich, this is where we as a church need to go, but, but even on an individual, personal level, it's something that God has been saying, Rich, you need to reorientate your life around making disciples who will make disciples. With your kids, with your friends, with your small group, with, you need to, that's what you need to be all about. And I'll just tell you this on the front end. It is not always a cakewalk. 
fact, a lot of times it's a hard work. A lot of times it seems like you're, you're taking three steps forward and four or five steps backwards. A lot of times it, it doesn't seem like the, the change that you're hoping will, will take place in people's hearts is, is happening. And the, the thing that will keep you going is not just a, a sense of stick-to-itedness or a, just a, a hard work ethic. What will keep you going is when you've got a hope in Christ, not even a hope that that, that person will change at some point, that, that they'll grow in their faith. That's not what keeps you going. What keeps you going is hope in Christ, knowing that he stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the only one who's able to sustain you when, when the going gets tough. So Paul kind of lays a little bit of a foundation here of what it, what's, what's involved in making disciples, and then he kind of unpacks this a little bit more as he continues to write to this church. Let's listen to what, what he, can, he, he says throughout the rest of this letter. He says, For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. He says some things in there that are so, so important. Now, all throughout this series, we've been kind of just hammering the point home. And you're going to hear this over and over and over again in the life of this church, that the, the primary way to make disciples is not by sitting in a service on a Sunday morning and listening to a guy stand up on a stage and talk. The primary way that disciples are made, that people grow in their faith, is through relationship. We see this in Jesus. Yeah, Jesus teaches the masses. There's definitely a place for that. But at the end of the day, Jesus is grabbing 12 guys around him. He's pouring into their life. He's eating with them. He's going into their homes. They're sitting on the beach, hanging out. They're, they're traveling together. They are doing life together. And it's the same thing with Paul we see in this passage. Notice he says, we lived among you. We lived among you. He doesn't say we we just we, we attended church with you or we see you once every four or five months. He says we lived among you to such an extent that they are able to see Christ in Paul and they begin to imitate Paul as Paul is imitating Jesus. They see how Paul cares for people and they're like, see, that's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And they begin to care for people. They see Paul kind of maybe get into some 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 conflict and some situations where people are saying things to him and persecuting him and they see how Paul responds in kindness and they're like, okay, that's what it looks like to, to live in that situation. They see Paul serving people and they go, okay, that's what it looks like to serve people. Now, was Paul perfect? Not at all. Because I'm sure somebody here is going, well, Rich, that's Paul. Of course they're going to imitate Paul. We're talking like the Apostle Paul. He wrote half the New Testament. But was Paul perfect? He wasn't perfect at all. Paul actually said at one point, he goes, I am the worst of sinners. Not just, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a bad guy. You know, he says, I am the worst of sinners. There's another place where Paul talks about his internal struggle. And he talks about how he wants to do this, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he ends up doing this thing over here that he doesn't want to do. And he, he has the same struggle all the time with doing what's right that you and I have. And, and yet, 
he's, he's coming along and he's living life with these people and they're beginning to see Christ in, in him. Now, the thing about Paul that's important to see is that he was honest about the struggles. He didn't just try to keep it all in and hide it and pretend he was something that he wasn't. He just, he lived with integrity. He said, like, guys, here's who I am. And, and as he did that, though, Christ began to work through him. Paul's life, it, it's rubbing off on people. Not because he's preaching good messages at them, but because he's living among them. He's in relationship with them. He's their friend. He's their friend. If you want to make disciples, you not only need to be willing to preach the truth, but to live the truth as well. You don't make disciples. You don't make disciples sitting in front of a TV. You don't make disciples sitting in front of a Facebook page, surfing through social media all day. Now, those things aren't necessarily, I'm not saying they're bad. But, that, but you make disciples when you are in face-to-face, life-on-life, when you're in relationship with people, getting to know people. You don't make disciples if your life is just work, 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 with no time, no margin in your schedule for people. Because disciples are made in relationship. Paul continues by saying this. He says, and so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I think I've said that. One city different in all three cases, but we're going to go with Achaia for this one. The Lord's message, it rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. And this is where we really start to see how great Paul was at making disciples. You notice how it's having this multi-generational effect here, how it's having this ripple effect. Paul, Paul is noticing how not only is the church in, in Thessalonica, how they're, they're growing in their faith and they're, they're growing in their love for Christ and they're growing in their love for others. He's saying, hey, guess what? I've also noticed some other things in you guys. You've become a model to other believers throughout the whole region. He's, he's saying that, that it, your, your faith in God has become known everywhere. They are now, they have been discipled by Paul, but now they're going out and they are making disciples. This last, so this guy that I met from Nepal this last week, one of the reasons that, that I was meeting with this guy is because um, uh, uh, I'm meeting with a group of guys on Thursday afternoon. One of them, uh, uh, one of the high school teachers here in town, a couple other guys are pastors, and all of us just have this heart to see discipleship happen. While one of the guys who kind of has this, brought this whole group together, he is over this thing called the Global Discipleship Network, and um, he, he got to know this guy from Nepal and wanted to bring him back over here just to kind of help us see what's going on over there. Well, so we're sitting there talking with this guy from Nepal, and he pulls out this newsletter of his that had a picture on it that I wish I would have brought this morning, but I didn't think of it until I was preaching in the first service. But, but anyways, he pulls out this picture, and in this picture, there's, there's about six, six or seven um, other guys in this picture. And they're all guys that are probably uh, late teens, 20s, and over there, or just below them, they all have a number. So there's a couple guys that have the number one, a couple other guys that have number two, um, some threes and some fours. And I asked this guy, what are the numbers about underneath these guys? And he said, well, this is just to, to show the, the ripple effect of what a disciple-making movement looks like. The number ones were the people that this pastor had discipled. The number twos were people the number ones had discipled, and the number threes were the people the number twos had discipled, and the number fours were the people the number threes had discipled. You see how this works? It's a ripple effect. And so often in the church, we think that discipleship is just, boom. 
it's some teacher, some some pastor or some leader of a class that that pulls a bunch of people together and teaches them what it means to, to be like Jesus or something. It stopped. But that was never what Jesus had in mind when he talked about going and making disciples of all of all nations. And, and I mean, thank God for that, because we wouldn't be here if that's all he had in mind. His his picture is that we would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples on and on and on to the generations. That's what it means to go and make disciples. It becomes a movement that begins to multiply over and over again as ordinary people like you and me begin to see God do some extraordinary things through our lives. Paul continues by saying this. He says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was, was not without results. And I just love how all throughout this passage of scripture, you see Paul using uh, the language of family, brothers and sisters. And later on, he talks about uh, how he uses like a, a father and like mother. And it's just, it's family. I love that here. I mean, God never designed the church. The church that he had in mind wasn't there just to simply be an institution, an organization, some corporation. It's family. It's family. And Paul gets that. He goes on to say this. He says, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not, and I want you to just, in the last section here, just, just let this sink in. He says, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Now get this. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. What an incredible, the imagery that he uses here is incredible. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but what? Our lives as well. Our lives as well. We loved you and we cared so much about you. I just got to ask, who doesn't want to have someone in their life like that? Someone who loves you and cares about you, who, who just wants to see you grow, who wants to see you experience life to the full. Who doesn't want someone like that in their life? And, and on the other side, who doesn't want to be that kind of person? You know, I think most of us in the room would say, yeah, I kind of, I want to be a person that loves like Paul is describing here. I want to be a person that's just not self-centered, a person that cares about others, who's looking out for others, who's just not so caught up in my own little world that I forget about the people around me. I want to be that kind of person. Paul uses the, the most incredible imagery here to help us understand at what, what's at the core of making disciples. It's caring for people. It is loving people, just like a mom loves her children. You know, what better picture is there of, of sacrificial love than a, than a mom? What better picture? You know, I've got five kids. Uh, I, I, I've seen what it's like where the, the kids are, in, in, when they're young, they're in the middle, middle of the night, they're pooping everywhere, and 
throwing up everywhere, all that kind of stuff, making messes all over the place. Um, kids are, um, especially when they're younger, it tends to be all about themselves, and there's not a whole lot of gratitude. There's not a lot of two-year-olds out there that just stop and say, Mom, I just want to thank you. You're just you're such a great mom to me. I appreciate all your sacrifice along the way. And we just don't have that. But does that mean moms will just stop and go, nah? No, they, 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 they love and they care for their kids anyway. They, they, they invest, they give, they, and they keep on giving. They keep on loving. Making disciples happens when we care enough to humbly sacrifice for one another. It, it, it takes sacrifice to be a disciple maker. Not only to be a disciple, but it takes sacrifice to be a disciple. There is a cost involved to this. You know, there, there's a reason why over and over again in Scripture, Jesus is talking about the cost. He's talking about how this is going to be like taking up a cross. It's going to involve denying yourself, denying what, what you want to do, where you want to go, how you want to spend your time, denying yourself and following him. There's a cost. And if we're going to be about discipling others, there's going to be a humble sacrifice that's going to have to come with that. Making disciples will happen also when we care enough to share the gospel of God with one another, like Paul mentions in this, this passage of Scripture. It's when you're willing to share the story with others about what Christ has done in your life. How, how his work on the cross has impacted your life. When you live out the gospel through your love for Jesus and your sacrifice for others. And then making disciples will happen when we, when we care enough to share our lives with one another. It won't happen any other way. It happens when you, you know, I'm going to be about sharing my life with others. I don't even know how to do that right now, but I'm going to pursue that so I can share with what I've got. Paul continues this, this letter with these words. He says this, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. That doesn't sound like a cake in, uh, a walk in the park to me. He says, Surely you remember our, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Some more of this language of family. And then I really want to just kind of wrap up with these last three words that he uses here. He says, we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children. Encourage them. That's what you do when you love somebody. You encourage them. Comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the language of churches that we're supposed to be. This isn't the language of, of corporate church. This isn't the language of institutional church. This is the language of church as it was supposed to be. Having people in your life who love you and care about you like a, a, a mom cares for her kids or a, a, a loving, caring dad cares for his kids. It's about having people in your life who are going to just walk alongside of you, people in your life who are going to encourage you, who are going to comfort you, who are going to urge you to live a life worthy uh, of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And, and it's not rocket science when it comes to how that, that looks. You know, encouragement is what comes along when you're discouraged and says, hey, together we, we can do this. It's having people walk alongside of you when you just want to throw in the towel and they're, they're there for you. They're living life with you, doing life with you, and, and they just, they encourage you. Um, I bet all of us in this room could think of at least one person who could use those words this week. To, 
could use someone to come along and say, hey, listen, together we can do this. You don't have to do this on your own. I'm, I'm going to be with you. Be with you. I'm, I'm walking beside you in this. Comfort is what comes along when you're feeling uneasy you're, or you're grieved. Something's, there's a loss that you're wrestling through, and it says, it's going to be okay. Again, because we're in this together, you've got the king of kings who's on your side. You're walking side by side, and then urging is what comes along when you're ready to throw in the towel. And come on, all of us in this room have been there at some point in our faith journey, probably multiple times. Urging is what, comes, what, what happens when someone comes along and they say nothing matters as much as following Jesus. I am praying for you. I'm here for you. Keep pressing on. That's love. That is caring for others. And this is how we make disciples. Does that sound like rocket science? Does that sound like something that you need to have a four-year degree in Bible college to do? And then maybe if you want to get really good, get a master at some seminary? Does, does that sound like no, encouraging people, loving people, loving people to Jesus, being in people's lives and having Jesus at the center of that? Any of us in this room today can be doing that. And that is exactly what Christ calls us to do, to be a church that is making disciples who make disciples. And we're doing that all in the context of loving, caring relationships. You know, if at the end of the day, hear, you got to hear me clear this morning. If at the end of the day, we're not loving Jesus more and we're not loving people more, everything that's happening right now is just a dead one for us. It's a waste of time. If we're not loving Jesus more next year than we are right now, if we're not loving people more a year from now than we are right now, then we're just showing up and just whatever, left. <laughs> it's a waste of time. It is about making disciples who make disciples and doing that in the context of loving, caring relationships. And, and I just want to close by, by saying this, and I've, I've said this over and over again. You've got to know from just a, a church leader standpoint that, that myself and our church leadership here at, at, at CCK, we are committed, fully committed to being about the right thing. And so often we get focused on all the peripheral stuff and focused on all the wrong things. Well, they're just not the, the, the big thing that, that Christ is calling us to be about. But we are committed to being all about making disciples who make disciples. We're committed to, to helping you grow in your faith, to helping you um, mature in Christ, to helping you get to the place where you're, you're going, yeah, I'm going to, my life is not, it's, it's not about me, it's about others, to helping you grow and become more other-centered. And we're going to do our part. We're going to make sure that we've got programs in place that are going to help make that happen. We're going to make sure that we've got small groups where, where leaders know how to disciple people and they know what needs to happen there. We're going to make sure that, that we're training leaders. We're going to be doing all that kind of stuff. We're going to make sure that everything that we do, whether it's a weekend service or, or an Easter egg hunt, we're going to make sure that it all has the end goal in mind of making disciples who will make disciples. We're going that direction. But at some point, you're going to have to make a commitment too. You're going to have to go, okay, this, this, is, this is not just something that, that Rich is saying I need to be doing. Clearly, Jesus is saying this is what my life needs to, needs to involve. It needs to be about making disciples who make disciples. And you go, I'm going to 
I'm going to figure out how to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there. I'm going to commit to playing my part in making community happen. I'm going to play my part in, 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 in being a part of a church, a team that's making disciples who make, make disciples. And as we do this together, you know, I believe God is going to do incredible things through this church in the Pacific Northwest. And he's going to do incredible things in our communities. He's going to do incredible things in our beyond. Who knows what Christ might do as we, as we make what he's about the things that, that we're about. As we make our lives about going and making disciples. And as we do that, I believe God's going to do some incredible things and make his name made known in our lives and the lives of others. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, um, Jesus, I just want to pray the same thing I've been praying throughout this whole series. And that's that you would help us. Lord, I, one of the things that I'm excited about with, with kind of just refocusing and getting on track with what you're about is just that I know that, that God, that's going to that's gonna bring us to a whole new place of having to rely on you. It's going to bring us to a whole new place of, of depending on you in prayer because we can't make anybody love you more. We can't make anybody love others more. God, that's a work of the heart that only you can do. So, Jesus, I just want to say that, Lord, we need your help. Lord, we need your help as, as dads and moms in our families, God, to help our kids. Uh, Lord, may it be you who's the one who's doing that work, God, that you'd be working in our kids to, to just change them and make them like you and make them hungry for you and desire you and want to be with you and seek your face. God, would you be doing that work? God, I pray, Lord, that you would God, help small group leaders and uh, ministry leaders in our church, God, just begin to, to know how to do that and just begin to, to seek you on a whole new level than they ever have. God, for those in this room today, God, who've got people in their lives that they are, they're intentionally in relationship with for the sake of, of Lord, helping them um, just experience fullness of, of life in you, Jesus. God, just, I pray that you begin to work through them in, in, in a powerful way, Jesus, as they depend on you, God, and as they put their, their hope you and, and God as they just pour into others lives um, because of this, this love that they have for you and for people and so Jesus make us a disciple making church Father make us a disciple making people Lord I pray that God none of us that are, that are sitting here in this room right now God, who have listened to this this morning would ever again be content with just being a consumer of Christianity. God, may, may something deep inside of us, God, be constantly stirring where we just get this sense like my life is about more than just me. It's about others. It's about others knowing Jesus and following Jesus. God, may that restlessness stir within the hearts of men and women, students, boys and girls, God, that are sitting in this room right now. And Father, I just want to pray that you would lead us. God, I pray that that Lord, what, what this looks like for each of us, God, I know it's going to look different. God, there's not a, uh, just a one next step for all of us. God, there's something that, Lord, I, I believe you're speaking to the moms and the dads in, in, in a way. And God, you're, you're speaking to all of us in a different way. Lord, I, I just want to pray that, Lord, we would hear your voice clearly saying, here's what I want you to do next. Here's what disciple making looks like for you. And Father, may we, when we hear your voice leading us to do 
something to go with what you guys can done. We have the faith and courage to follow you wherever that is that you may lead us to. In your great name, Jesus, I pray all this, God, for the sake of your, your, your honor, for the sake of your glory, in your name.